Welcome to Season 5 of the Art of Teaching Podcast. My name is Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you took the time to listen. When I started this podcast at the beginning of 2021, I had no idea that the episodes and discussions would resonate with so many educators across the globe. So thank you to all those that have downloaded, listened to, shared and reviewed the podcast. It means the world to know that there are teachers out there that are benefiting from these discussions. Eddie Wu is a guest that needs no introduction. He is arguably Australia's most famous and most loved maths teacher. He's a brilliant educator, TED speaker, play school star and YouTube phenomenon. He is the recipient of numerous awards and accolades including being named the 2018 New South Wales Local Hero, receiving the University of Sydney Young Alumni Award for Outstanding Achievement, becoming a top 10 finalist in the Global Teacher Prize and being awarded Australian Local Hero for 2018. What is particularly refreshing about Eddie is that, despite these achievements, he has never lost sight of the fact that as teachers, we have the privilege to serve those that matter most, our students. Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Matt, it's my absolute pleasure. And I know it took us a while to get to this point, so I'm glad to finally have the conversation with you. It sure did, and I have so many questions for you, and I'm so thankful uh, for your work, but quite possibly the most important question, uh, what's your coffee order? <laughs> My coffee order. I am one of the three teachers in New South Wales who doesn't drink coffee, so I, I can take a hot chocolate and we'd be very happy with that. It's pretty amusing. We've got um, student baristas at our school at Traybrook Technology High School who work every morning. They're just they're fabulous, and I always feel like I'm shortchanging them when I turn up embarrassingly saying can, can I have a hot chocolate not a real drink uh, but yes I'll, I'll take one of those if you're offering right so are you trying to tell me that this is natural energy that you have it's not caffeine related um yeah well I mean I drink a single cup of tea in the morning if I have one after one o'clock I'm in some serious trouble when I when I hop into bed um, but yeah I don't know that's uh this is me un un coffee uh, you know amplified fantastic um Another rapid fire question. What's an item that is still on your bucket list? Ooh, still on my bucket list. See the Grand Canyon. Uh, I know this is a funny thing to like single out. I'm a, I'm not very well traveled. Uh, in fact, prior to the Australian of the Year Awards, which kind of gave me a lot of opportunities to travel, um, I hadn't had a, a what's the right word? Legitimate, active um, passport for like over 10 years. So having gone many places throughout my life, was going to go to the US in 2020 because um, my my book that I wrote uh, in 2018, it got picked up by a US publisher, which is delightful. So I was going to go over there and talk about that. And then a global pandemic happened. So still haven't even gone to the US, but the Grand Canyon, I just have wanted to see it my entire life. Fantastic. And um, if you could have a dinner party with anybody, um, obviously your wonderful family uh, doesn't count in the headcount, uh, <laughs> but who would you like to sit down and have a meal with? Oh, wow. My goodness. Um, so many people I could pick out. I mean, honestly, I think the place my brain is going to go is 
Jesus of Nazareth. Um, I, I have faith, and that's something which is um, personal to me. I know not everyone shares that, and that's okay. But even aside from, you know, my personal reasons, he was a person who changed history. Um, our, our entire society, for better and for worse, has been kind of uh, impacted around the world by this one human being. So why waste an opportunity to pick his brain, I reckon? Yeah, I think that's a wonderful answer. And if you can get Jesus to a dinner party, I would also love an invitation. <laughs> that would be Open invite. One, uh, yeah, one crazy, uh, one crazy dinner party. Um, I, look, there's one thing I just can't let go. And that is, um, the other day I was watching Play School and my children watching Play School and up popped Eddie Wu. How on earth did you go from a, um, a high school maths teacher to a YouTube sensation, and also, most importantly, someone who's starring on Play School. Uh, you know, books, I believe. <laughs> there are, um, I mean, there are questions that I get posed that I myself do not know the answer to. And I have to say, when I was first approached, um, I looked at it and I had to double take. I was kind of like, is this one of those phishing scams? Like someone's trying to get my credit card details. Like this can't be real. Like this is yeah. surely yeah. A, a fake, you know. And then when I replied back and they said, hey, we're actually, I thought this is amazing. We're doing a series on marvelous maths and your name kind of came up as someone would be interested in. I thought, okay, I don't have an amazing singing voice. I am pretty sure if there was a way to fail dancing at school, I would have done it, but I'm gonna give it a red hot go because it's play school. So it was a privilege to be part of it. Um, and to your credit, last night, my, uh, my four-year-old decided to uh, sort her socks. Um, and so that was really, really helpful as we were uh, trying to fold our washing. So thank you so much for that. Um, if you could do another episode on, say, tidying up, or putting your washing <laughs> away on Play School, that would be incredibly helpful. But it, it's, it's just so amazing, isn't it? And, and the fact that you um, had the opportunity to, um, to talk about maths in such a practical way is is really really inspiring and, and what do you think it is that, that people maybe misunderstand about maths or what would you what message would you like to get out uh, to people who maybe not, maybe didn't have such a great experience mm. that's a huge question yeah oh, it's massive and I know you know for me I think the first word that comes to my mind is is empathy because I did not have a great experience of maths myself going through school I mean it wasn't terrible i've you know encountered many people throughout my journeys uh, over the last few years in particular who have literally had traumatic experiences of mathematics so mine was not quite that bad but i certainly remember and maybe this is something which you know people who are listening might resonate with i remember feeling really really dumb in my maths classes and just having no idea and not just not having any idea but feeling bad because I was supposed to have an idea and like, what's wrong with you? Like you're um, meant to be someone who's intelligent and understands things and you are confused, you don't know what to do. So my first word to, to anyone out there who's feeling like that is, I am right there. I know what that experience is like. And, and there is this hope, there's a way to move past that. I'm kind of, you know, exhibit A as it were. In terms of a message, something that I'd want to say to anyone who feels like they, they had that experience or is, is having that experience right now, I'd say give it some time because mathematics, it's found everywhere and it's for everyone. Whatever kind of interest you have, there's a connection that mathematics has to that. And if you can appreciate the mathematics that's within it and that's connected to it, I think whether it's music or cooking or sport or Shakespeare, whatever it happens to be, I think appreciating the mathematics that's in it will help you love that thing that you already love even better. 
And as a consequence, since it's found everywhere, I, I truly think it's for everyone. I know there's some people who are gifted and talented in mathematics. I am, was not and am not one of those, but there's a place for all of us uh, in, in mathematics in much the same way that there's a place for all of us in, in music or in food or in literature. So I think that would be my message. That's really wonderful. And um, just before we hit record, uh, we were talking about a, uh, a mutual uh, inspiration, I think, uh, Dr. Catherine uh, Attard. And I just remember sitting in one of her lectures at the University of Western Sydney uh, many, many years ago before I started teaching. And I just remember sitting there in her classes and just realizing how incredibly diverse and wonderful and creative this subject was. And to be honest, I felt a little bit ripped off because mm. I thought, where was this? Where was this maths when I was at school? Mm. Where was this passion and this excitement? And I think we we went outside and we were drawing two um, D and three D shapes in the environment, like something so something like I walk past these wonderful structures every day, these mm. cubes, these hexagons, these spheres, and I had no idea that maths was embedded in every single component of our lives and. I'm just wondering from your point of view, do you think maths has a bit of a PR problem? And is that one of your missions in life to help us begin to see ourselves as mathematicians again, or even for the first time? Mathematics has such an issue with its own image. Uh, one of the things which I've come to realize is, you know, when you are a mathematics teacher and you meet someone for the first time, whether it's at a wedding party or you, you jump into a taxi or you're just standing in a lift, you start a conversation with someone and as soon as they find out I'm a mathematics teacher, one of two things will happen. Either that's the end of the conversation. It's just like, okay, I have no interest in interacting with you anymore. Um, or um, the other, like vast majority of times, people will often relate to me, their, their negative experiences, their frustrations, um, and they'll hold me personally responsible. They're like, you math teachers, you are the reason why. And you know, if, if it's just a short conversation, I often will just sort of extend some sympathy. But if I've got some time, I'll often try to, to dig into, well, t tell me what it was that was so difficult or so negative for you in this experience. And to an individual, I think pretty much every time, and I've had a lot of these conversations over the years, I find that there are very, very few people who dislike numbers themselves or shapes themselves or, or patterns. The thing that people have um, so much trouble with is not the mathematics, but the way they learned the mathematics. And I think any subject can be made dry and boring and frustrating. And it is heartbreaking to me that mathematics, the vast majority of people have that experience. But that does mean, you know, often the way to help people fall in love with maths is to help them see maths as it truly is to fix that PR problem, like you said. Yeah. I think quite often we have to um, unlearn things as adults. And I think about that, all these perceptions of maybe I'm not a great dancer or I'm not great at music or I'm not great at mathematics. And that's actually, um, that has come from somewhere. And I think as individuals, we carry in many ways these, uh, these, different, these different bags that can hold us down and restrict us. And it's so wonderful. Um, uh, one of the things that I'm so passionate about in my class is seeing young people experience the beauty and the wonder of maths. I, I was doing a lesson with them uh, the other day on uh, Piet Mondrian, who's an artist, and he, he uses all these wonderful primary colours. And and um, my um, one of my students said, oh, Mr. Green, this, this can't be maths. This is too fun. And part of me was really excited that they didn't realise it. And also part of me was really sad that they thought maths had to be boring mm. and confined to it a key learning area and it was so lovely to see them 
manipulating these two-dimensional shapes and making these incredible patterns and designs and mm. um and so i think it's um hopefully and, and thank you to people like yourself that are really starting to change that narrative mm. around the possibilities of maths and um I, i'm just curious eddie um was there a teacher that made a big difference in your life at school was there one that really made you i mean we all have a story of a great mm. teacher whether we're teachers or not but was there a teacher that really um stands out to you as as making a difference in your life yeah i think i've i'm very fortunate that i can point to a vast array of teachers who had exactly the kind of impact on me that you describe and uh every single one of them is a big component for why i am a teacher today um i've in the past i've talked about um two people in particular who've stood out to me who were mr brown my agriculture teacher and mr best my music teacher um I've spoken about them before, particularly they had impact on me in terms of how they were not just, they, they embodied the idea that teachers teach a subject, but they more importantly teach students and that the human beings in front of them, they regarded as not just, you know, a blank slate on which to, you know, spew forth their knowledge, but they viewed us as people, fellow human beings. Uh, who they got the privilege of, of learning from. So I've, I've spoken about them, but someone I actually haven't gotten to talk about very much was um, Mrs. Ballantyne, who was my drama teacher in years wow. nine and 10. Um, now, Mrs. Ballantyne, I want to speak a little bit at length about her because like I said, I haven't talked about her a lot in the past. And for me, who I am now and the kind of teacher I am is so deeply um, shaped by my years in drama. I actually studied four years of drama during high school because like elective in nine and 10, and then I took it for my HSC in years 11 and 12. And you can argue, you can make a pretty strong argument that number one, I would not have gone on to you know, take drama seriously enough that I would you know, do it for my year 11 and 12 senior study if I hadn't have landed in years nine and 10 have been firstly, objectively, an awful drama student. Like I had friends who went on to become stage actors. They went to um, the National Institute of Dramatic Arts. They're like, you know, serious dramatic theater people. Um, and I was not one of those. I, you know, enjoyed the subject, but I wasn't, I didn't excel at it. But that didn't matter to Mrs. Ballantyne. She saw in me something worth nurturing and it, it made me realize, wow, okay, um, I can actually, take this on as a skill, which yeah, I'm not naturally gifted at, but I, I can take this further. And in fact, if you want to pick out one of the things, like, you know how the, the question that kids ask all the time is like, when are we going to use this, sir? Like, when is this going to matter in our everyday lives and that kind of thing? And as a math teacher, I just get asked that a lot. I use the skills that I learned in drama about communicating, interacting with people. I literally use them every hour of every day of my life. Gosh. So... Mrs. Ballantyne, I have a big debt of gratitude for um, out there uh, over the years. And have you, uh, have you ever caught up with her after uh, graduating her class? Have you expressed this to her, the role that she's played in your life? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the short answer is yes. Um, I had the, depending on the way you look at it, the good fortune or the misfortune of actually going back to my old school to teach for a few years um, early in my career. And that was a delightful experience. It's also really weird trying to call my old teachers by their first names and so on. Um, and I, do, I did have conversations with 
with with her to say, hey, look, I'm I'm so grateful. I don't know if I was articulate enough. I'm um even though a lot of people are surprised to hear this, I'm a I'm kind of a textbook introvert. So I find like personal interaction really exhausting and I find it easy to put my my foot in my mouth like why did I say that like and I'll think about this for hours and days later um so I probably was not that uh yeah articulate in the way that I expressed it maybe to her but I hope she knows how grateful I am I remember uh, going back to my old primary school in England and meeting Miss Jones who had an incredible influence on my life and even as a I was I think I was in my early 30s at the time I just didn't know what to do when I met her like Mm. I, I I I remember we went through a, a particularly challenging, particularly traumatic time in our family life when I was in her class. And every time I worked in, walked into her class, she was my year four teacher, I just felt so valued and so um, so known by her. And I'm sure she did that with the 35 other kids that were in her class. But for me, I just felt so incredibly special. And when I went back and saw her 20 years later or whatever it was, I was um, even more so, 25 years later, I was so... I was almost starstruck. I didn't know what to do. I think I just gave her a hug and burst into tears. <laughs> it was very, my wife was there. And when we left, she said, yeah, that really was a cool. <laughs> <laughs> that was, it was not a professional look. It's a <laughs> and it just goes to show though, the immense impact uh, that teachers can have on people's lives. And mm. especially with your drama teacher, like just seeing um, uh, the impact that she's had and how that served you throughout your life is really, um, really interesting. And do you think there are some, parallels between drama and maths because it does seem like a sort of an unusual trajectory to go from someone who uh was maybe more of a drama brain and then (laughs) i don't know like uh, talk to me a little bit about that do we um yeah, what was that trajectory like? People do often comment on the fact that like drama is one piece of the puzzle. I my other favorite subject at school, um, given you know what I just mentioned about the history of I didn't have an amazing experience of maths. Um, sort of alongside drama, um, English and, and history were my real loves at high school, and I did excel at those, and I knew it, and just deeply enjoyed going as far down that rabbit hole as I possibly could. And people frequently comment on how these are strange bedfellows with you know mathematics teaching like how did that happen did you accidentally like fill out the wrong form on the enrollment or something like that um you asked about points of commonality Um, yeah there are huge points of commonality for me the one that comes up you know first in the surface is that drama is about telling a story right and i think you know i learn mathematics most effectively when i understand it in terms of a story so for example like one of those classic ways that we can think about this is um, even though not all stories fit into this there's a good reason why so many of them do you know the three act structure that we often find stories you know there's there's setup there's conflict and then there's a resolution of some kind right it's like there's a there's a reason why screenwriters use this as kind of like their bread and butter because if you don't set up then you won't care about the people or the setting or the situation. If there's no conflict, it's just boring. And if there's no resolution, you come out dissatisfied and frustrated. And like, what was the point of that, right? So these three pieces to a good story, to the arc of a story, I think they are the same pieces that go into a mathematical proof or a concept or an idea or a skill that I want to teach my students. I want to say, okay, we're not just going to be learning about the quadratic formula today we're going to say you know what there's this ancient problem that human beings have been trying to solve for centuries 
that was just kind of out of reach. They were trying to understand life, you know, planning it out in two dimensions. Maybe you're planning out a farm. Maybe you're trying to design, you know, a tapestry or something like that. You're trying to understand things with height and width. And anytime you have two dimensions, you will create equations and relationships that we call quadratic equations. It's x squareds and 5x and all these kinds of things. This, this is the material of which the universe is made. The conflict is that these are fiendishly difficult to solve. Um, if I gave you something like, okay, uh, Matt, I, I want you to buy some donuts for me, um, and and here's some money. Just buy the right amount of donuts. There's not there's not two things there. There's just the amount of money that will get you to the right amount of donuts, and then solved, right? But if I asked you, okay, well, hold on a second. Now I want you to not just do donuts. I also want you to, I, I, I'm feeling guilty for this, this, this dessert that I'm buying. Get me some carrots as well. And suddenly you're like, hold on. Now I've got these two things in contrast with each other. This is a challenging problem. Um, people have literally worked with these for centuries and have said, well, some of them can't be solved. How are we going to, as 13, 14 year old children, come up with a way to wrestle with these problems? This is a conflict. And then there is this wonderful, delightful resolution, this, this formula that, that kind of takes this insoluble challenge and makes it as straightforward as tying your shoelaces. That is brilliant to know that such a challenging thing, the ingenuity of the human mind has come up with a way to make this simple and routine. So for me, seeing those commonalities of storytelling and narrative I think there's, that's a starting point, but there's a lot of those kinds of overlap that you can see between things like drama and maths. Wow, that, that's so exciting. And I want to know more now about uh, quadratic equations. <laughs> um, I never thought I would say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's so wonderful. And, and I, I remember uh, queuing up in a, in a uh, I'm not sure what bookshop, but in a bookshop to, to purchase your book. Um, I think it might have been one in Liverpool. Um, and I remember catching the train back home and just sitting on the train and looking through your incredible book and seeing just how practical and beautiful and creative and wonderful and intriguing maths was. And it was actually a moment for me discovering your work and also discovering your, uh, your book just to, it was a, a moment that I felt like that the scales had come off and I was like, oh, it was like a breath of fresh air. And, and I'm so grateful that you would take the time to to speak to not only a generation of students, but also a generation of adults that are quite possibly suffering some sort of an anxiety around mathematics. And um, I think probably one of the most brilliant opening lines I've ever heard at a TED talk was uh, from you as well, which it could have <laughs> the way because you started off saying, I love mathematics. Was that a uh, was that a dangerous move when you're trying to win over an audience, or did you, uh, or was it a carefully constructed uh, opening line? Because I, I heard that and I thought, He's either genius. <laughs> it's not going to go well. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it was an interesting process. I mean, you talk about writing a book, um, and and you, I. By the way, I'm so delighted to hear that that was your response because unlike you and me, when we're in the classroom, if you give a great lesson, you give a banger of a lesson, or if you give a terrible lesson, you know immediately. Like you find out within seconds, right? And I remember that obviously you 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 write a book, you put it out there into the ether. And I was like, I hope this means something to someone out there. And I often don't get to meet the people um, who've interacted with. So I'm, I'm so glad that you're, that was your experience. Um, but when you come to think about TED, I, I remember, um, like, I mean, like many other people out there, I've watched many a TED talk and found them so thought provoking and, and challenging. And you, know, you talked about the scales 
falling off your eyes. I definitely have had plenty of those moments where you're like, I've never looked at the world that way before. So when I was, um, yeah, I, I was approached and said, hey, would you be interested in doing something like this? I was immediately terrified because I thought, I don't think I'm up to that. Um, because, you know, you look at these incredibly polished performers and there was a, a very detailed uh, curatorial process um, and editing process that went into um, that. It was considered for me. Um, I knew that I wanted to to lead with transparency and to say like, here I am, um, you're gonna get me um, at, as kind of um, honestly and openly as you're, as you're willing to take me. Um, but I remember writing that and feeling okay with it because it's kind of the reverse punchline to a joke. Um, so I knew I could get a laugh out of people, which is a nice way to, to get at ease with people. But the thing that really scared me actually was when I, I, I gave my talk you know, I already sent my script through, they gave me some feedback and then they said, okay, we're gonna get you to give it a dry run. We're gonna get, get every speaker to do a dry run. And then I did it and they, they came back and said, okay, thanks for doing that. We've now outlined the program, the order of all the speakers. There's something like 15 or 16 speakers. And I said, oh, cool. Um, so, so where have you placed me on the order? And they said, yeah, you're the first speaker. And <laughs> I had the exact same words running through my mind that you did. I was like, this is either going to be amazing or the worst idea that anyone has ever come up with because would you really lead with that? Um, but it was an instant relief when I actually heard the audience laugh with me and it was just a, a, a wild ride. Some of the scariest 12 minutes of my life, but really enjoyed them. So I've never heard uh, the subject of mathematics being described as wonderful, as magical, as numberful um, as you have described in your work. Um, why use these words to describe a subject which has traditionally um, been uh, quite dry or mm. maybe quite misunderstood? Yeah, so I think for me the reason why these words are so powerful and so important is that I mean, I remember even studying, like maybe in year 10, I remember studying George Orwell's 1984. And I remember my English teacher talking about the way in which, you know, this, this uh, dystopian government had taken control of their population. And one of the key ways they did it was by taking hold of the language that people spoke and, and you know, giving them new speak. And when you have, when you frame everything in, in certain terms, that frames the way that you think about things because we all speak in a language, right? So for me to, to produce a different association, and you were talking before about changing the narrative, this, this delightful privilege and opportunity that educators have to rewrite the script for young people, which I think is just astonishing, right? Um, using words like that are important. I, I, you know, you said the word dry. Uh, mathematics is often very procedural. Um, it is the opposite of something which brings out, out wonder and delight. But the funny thing is that often a lot of the procedures um, that you know, we will teach to students, there actually is wonder and delight, but you have to kind of dig for it a little bit. And the, the procedure is the part that's you know, sitting on the top. Um, yeah. I, I'll give you a very you know, sort of straightforward, well, straightforward is the wrong word, but um, let me try and give you a metaphor or analogy for this. This helped me anyway. Mathematics and all of the procedures that we learn, say for example, the long division algorithm, right? It's like it, when you, you say dry, it's like this is about as dry as it gets, which is why people have made up stories to try and make the process memorable. Like, oh, there's a turtle and it sticks out its head and it eats a thing, a number, and then off it goes. For me, the reason why that process is the way it is, is because mathematics is a little bit like a car. I 
I don't understand how an internal combustion engine works, but the car is designed, or cars in general are designed, specifically so that without that understanding, I can still use and benefit from this car, right? Now, mathematics in many ways is like that. It's, you know, there are parts of it that we want to be able to um, use and we want a wide uh, group of people, a wide diversity of people to be able to um, actually get the benefits out of this, but the understanding is, is another matter. However, I would argue that the understanding brings about wonder. I remember the first time I learned, wait, hold on a second, I can move from A to B because there's a mildly controlled explosion going on underneath the hood of my car every single moment that I'm just pressing down the accelerator. That's astonishing. The engineering and the, the cleverness that went into that to me is phenomenal. And I don't need to know that to be able to get from A to B, but I like knowing that because it helps me appreciate and be, uh, I think that's what all human beings want to do, right? We love, we crave experiences of wonder. So I think for me, that's why I use language like that to say, hey, you know what? This is an experience that you can access. You've so switched off that part of your, your mind and your heart, mostly when you walk into a mathematics classroom, but, but if you reopen yourself to it, it can be something that you can experience as well. Wow, that's really lovely. And it's really, um, uh, thank you for expressing the beauty of maths uh, so well. And I just wanted to quickly ask you about um, the geometry and the patterns in the river delta. I know it's a very random uh, question to ask, but what do you think this teaches us about the role of maths in our lives? Ah, delightful. Okay, so um, for people who maybe are not, uh, you know, they're hearing you, Matt, say like river deltas and like, what does that have to do with maths? So there is this wonderful mathematical shape, um, which we don't actually learn very much of explicitly in school um, because it's actually quite difficult to, to, to work with um, because we, we at school, we want, you know, clean, easy to draw shapes, things you can use with a ruler or a pair of compasses. You can't draw yeah. a river delta with, any, with either of those. The shape that I'm referring to is something that mathematicians have called a fractal. And what I love about the name is that it captures kind of what it is in the name. So the word fractal, it comes from the same place as fracture or fraction. It, it's kind of this object that has been broken up into many pieces, right? And if, if you can, you know, if people who are listening, either they can picture in their minds or maybe they just, you know, do a Google image search for river delta. And you can kind of have this picture of like a, a tree with all its branches fanning out into the sky, but upside down, right? Because like a river delta, the, the, the thickest part of the river, it sort of fans out and you get all these little um, tiny tributaries and, and little um, ponds and what have you, billabongs and so on. And what creates that geometry? And I've already given one example. Um, in a river delta, it doesn't just work with rivers. It works with trees, the branches of a tree, um, the, the forks in a bolt of lightning, the um, the blood vessels in in you know here I am I look at my wrist and I I can see my blood vessels snaking their way through through my hand uh, it's the same shape what's going on there and the idea is that um, you know someone very intelligent once said uh, and I don't know who the quote is attributed to but but poetry um, it's the art of calling the same thing uh, by many different names right it's like ah uh, poets all write about love. It's one singular concept, but they come up with, you know, myriad ways and infinite different, uh, you know, combinations of words that, that express love, right? Poets call one thing by different names, but mathematicians, they do the reverse. And it was the French mathematician Henri Poincaré who said, mathematicians, they call many different things by one name. 
they can see the, the unity, the one thread that binds many different disparate ideas like a river delta, a tree, a bolt of lightning, and the blood vessels that make up, that keep us alive. They have this fractal geometry of um, what we call self-similarity. You know, if you, if you zoom in on one part of a river delta, it kind of looks like the same thing if you zoom out and zoom out again and look at it from space, it's the same kind of shape. And uh, a bolt of lightning does exactly the same thing. A tree branch does the same thing. So that mathematical reality, you asked like, what, what does that teach us about maths? It's that there is this shared DNA, I think, um, throughout the universe, throughout the cosmos, that mathematics helps us understand and appreciate and wonder at. And that's why I love the subject so much. Wow. That's, it's really wonderful to hear because um, it seems like even in a subject which is so broad and diverse and wonderful and creative, that there are some commonalities and there are some things that there's some rules. And I think it's, it's very easy if you want to explore something that you're not particularly confident or familiar with to know that there are rules and there's things that are predictable and that you can engage in, in different levels. And it's, um, it's so wonderful to hear. I remember uh, reading that component of your book and just going, like, Oh, wow. Like, there are, this is not, mathematics is not such as, not a big scary world that I thought it might be. There are some, it is approachable and it mm. is, and we can go on a journey as educators with our students and, um, and engage in it together. And Eddie, I just wanted to ask you, you um, seem uh, endlessly passionate, you, well, um, uncaffeinated, which I think is amazing. <laughs> how do you... Um, how do you keep that wonder and that awe and that excitement and that enthusiasm when it comes to teaching? Because as we all know, it's, it's a particularly challenging profession, but, but what do you do to help, you, help keep yourself curious and, mm. and, and engaged in your wonderful work? Yeah, I think there's, um, there's, a, there's a couple of different pieces to that. Oh, I take that back. There's many, many different pieces, but that are the two that come to the front of my mind. Um, the first one is, you know, something which I, I, think, I don't think is um, particular to, to mathematics, but for me, it's really important. I, I referenced my, my old teachers, Mr. Brown and Mr. Best before. And for me, one of the things that they taught me was that the thing that will keep you going and the thing that will keep you excited it's, it's the people who you get to work with. And I think about my colleagues, my fellow teachers, people like you. Uh, I think about the kids. You get to walk into the classroom and you just see these faces and you think to my, yourself, these are people of infinite value and they are precious and they've been entrusted to me. And what a, an awesome and terrifying responsibility to take on, but also what an exciting opportunity. I, I often think, you know, I, I do a lot of work beforehand and, and this is going to sound, I bet this is going to sound ridiculous to a lot of people, but I've been teaching for 15 years now, um, which is not like, you know, there's obviously hundreds and thousands of people who have way more experience than me, but also it's definitely long enough that I, I know my stuff. I know what I'm doing, but I will still, especially when I've got a concept that I either have not taught for a while or um, that it's, it's relatively new to me, I actually, like, my, my form of lesson preparation that I, my go-to is I pick up a pen and I write. And I will write word for word, you know, what's going on in my head and the ways that I want to craft language to make a clear explanation to the students in front of me. And that word for word, like that manuscript, I almost never look at that again when I'm in the classroom. But for me, 
it is a, a, a moment to pause and to collect my thoughts and then to phrase them in a way that can be clear and that can excite my students. And so for me, it's, it's knowing there are these people who you have the privilege and the opportunity to, to speak to. They deserve the best possible experience you can have. You know, we, we don't wanna have uh, people like you and me, Matt, who it's kind of like, I feel shortchanged by my experience of learning this, that, or the other. Um, whether it's maths or another key learning area, we want our children coming out of our classrooms excited and delighted and passionate to know more. Every subject should be like that. So I think the first thing is the kids um, and, and knowing them. And then the second one is really around, I, I've, I can't take credit for this. I was told this once upon a time and I thought, yeah, that seems reasonable. And um, I, I sort of went down and followed this piece of advice and it's been so helpful to me. Um, I love to be a wide learner. So I'm a bit of a podcast junkie, uh, I read a lot. And for me, having the opportunity to learn things that often don't have any, like people would probably look at my podcast subscription list and say, struggling to see the professional connections here, right? But for me, being broadly, you know, um, broadly read, um, I remember reading this book called um, Range by David Epstein, um, subtitle, Why Generalists Triumph in a World of Specialization. Um, and it's talking about the importance of, of breadth. Um, you know, it, it gives an example of say, like Roger Federer, who like one of the greatest tennis players of all time, I'm sure some people would say the greatest, and a lot of people don't realize that actually, you know, you might imagine that maybe he was this child prodigy in tennis, like came out of the womb holding a tennis racket or something like that. And they was from a very young age put on the court. But in fact, he played a wide range of sports all the way up until like he was a teenager before he started, decided, okay, well, tennis is the thing I'm going to play on, right? Now, for me, that's amazing, but actually not that surprising because his skills are so broad and us going into the classroom passion and excitement comes from seeing knowledge and understanding and concepts connected from a wide range of things and being surprised by those things. So I think that breadth of learning and, and then focusing that on the kids and the motivation, the reason why this learning matters, I think those are the keys for, for why I try to maintain my passion. Amazing, Eddie, that, that's so inspiring. And I, and I can't let this opportunity go past without actually asking you, what are some of your podcast subscriptions? Oh, wow, okay. Like I said, this is dangerous. Um, okay, so um, the first one that comes to mind is called This American Life, which is just fantastic storytelling. Um, another one that I love dearly is 99% Invisible, which is a podcast all about design. Um, there, there are some science podcasts on there. One of my favorite ones is called um, Hidden Brain, which is a psychology-focused uh, podcast and then um, there's a whole raft of other ones like um, I mean I mentioned this American Life which sort of birthed this um, sister company called um, Serial and they have a bunch of podcasts and like I I find like horror movies and crime thrillers I find them terrifying to watch if they're movies but I find them intensely interesting to listen to so um, things like that I, I they're just off the top of my head but there's a long list on there well, I'll add a few of those to the show notes if people uh, want some great recommendations. I'm always, I find that so um, uh, refreshing to hear that you are continuing to listen and read to a wide variety of things. And do you think it's important to be someone who uh, continually challenges their own assumptions? Oh, um, yeah, enormously. I mean, you talked about unlearning before, right? And I think that, I mean, it's kind of, I should be less surprised by this than I am because of how many times this has happened to me. But I am like routinely shocked 
at least three to four times a year in a big way that something that I thought was true or something that I assumed, um, you know, I find it to be not the case. Um, I remember, here's like a very trivial example, but I still remember it shaking me up a little bit in, in sort of, you know, one direction and then in, in the opposite direction. I remember as a 11, 12 year old boy when I was like listening to a news report or something like that. And uh, there was a politician of some description on, on the news. And I don't know what they were, Minister for Transport, Minister for Health, something like that. And I remember listening to them and then talking to my parents uh, and trying to understand what it was that they were talking about. And then they made some offhanded, my parents made this offhanded comment that was sort of like, oh yeah, well, they, they would say things like this because like the Minister for Health, they're not a doctor. Uh, and the minister for like education, they're not a teacher. And like I had this moment of kind of, you, you know, in a movie where the um, camera does this thing where it moves away, but it zooms in and the background just kind of shows this weird confusion in the, in the protagonist's mind. And I had this moment where the whole world shifted underneath me. I thought, hold on a second. How, how can it be that they are entrusted to make decisions when they have no expertise, like sort of, you know, um, subject matter background in that area? And I was very confused by this for many years. And I, I sort of understood why they did this, but it sort of came sort of full circle when now as an educator, I've had the opportunity through uh, my work with the Department of Education um, to interact with a lot of these, you know, policymakers and people in parliament and so on. And it's, it's made me come to realize, you know, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember who actually said this quote and it's, 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 I'm struggling. It might've been C.S. Lewis or someone else, but you know, democracy, right? Democracy is the worst form of government humanity has ever devised, except for all of the rest of the ways that we've tried, um, you know, dictatorships, monarchies, etc. Um, you know, there, there's a reason why actually, even though it's, it's tremendous compromise, um, there are, there's wisdom actually in having someone who can say, yeah, I, I can stand back and I have, can have some objectivity to this decision-making process. Not to say that they do this well everywhere, universally. They've got a lot to learn still. But I was like, oh, it makes sense. Like, there are things around us that seem silly, but they've all come about because of a reason. So that was something that I unlearned. I unlearned it twice, backwards and then forwards. And I think it's crucial, especially as educators who put ourselves in the position of, of teaching others and helping others learn how can we be expected to do that effectively if we have forgotten what it is like to be a learner? So it's vital. Eddie, I just I do want to be respectful of your time uh, because I know that uh, you've got a lot on um, and I'm incredibly grateful that you would chat to me today. But there's just two things I wanted to ask you quickly about. Uh, the first, first one is your uh, incredible YouTube channel and also secondly, uh, your Australian of the Year Award. So let's start with your YouTube channel. What has that experience been like? And my understanding is that there's close to one and a half million people that are subscribed to your video. Does, is it strange being a YouTube sensation? Yeah, it's it's pretty bananas. I mean, I I often sort of look at the videos that are there and they're you know being watched whatever number of millions of times, and it's just kind of bizarre. I mean, I know you said um, <laughs> when we were chatting before um, and you're kind of like, ah, oh, I've got a podcast. I'm like, I'm amazed that people who aren't just my mom are actually listening in. And I, I've thought exactly the same thing about my YouTube channel. I'm like, you know, all these views, is that just my dad hitting refresh over and over again? Um, and then you get to meet people who have said like, this has been really helpful to me, which is just delightful. So when you ask like, what has that experience been like? Um, it's been, it's been humbling. 
to know that, you know, literally me just doing my job every day, but sort of, as it were, opening a door to my classroom so that, you know, anyone on the internet can just walk in and benefit from. Um, it's been delightful to know that that's been helpful to people and, you know, uh, thinking about lockdown and, you know, people around the globe who've, you know, for some of them, this has been their best access to teaching and learning that makes sense to them and that they can understand. And that just, it just blows my mind. So I feel really, you know, shocked and humbled by that. Um, but it's something which, you know, I want to keep on working on. It's it's part of why I love continuing to teach and sharpening my craft. I still have so much to learn. And I love that, you know, being able to bring my students along for the journey, just, you know, quietly. I think that's part of the secret about why people have found my channel engaging, it's because I generally have a bunch of 15 or 16 year olds who are not a forgiving audience in front of me. And so if my lesson's not very good, they'll tell me about it. Um, so that means that the content that ends up there is is hopefully a decent quality. Um, but for me, it's it's wonderful that a broad group of people can benefit from that. It's real life, brutal feedback from teenagers, isn't it? 100%, yeah. Did you ever think that you would have a following that has amassed um, 1.5 close to million subscribers no like, no it's just seems i mean that's immense yeah yeah it's even to me a person who works with numbers a lot that number i i can't quite get through my head um i mean for example i, I teach at a large school so chaybrook technology high school is um sydney's sorry new south wales's largest secondary school seven to twelve We've got 2,000 children who are, you know, in our classrooms and we are so large, you can't ever fit everyone all together in one place um, when we've got a whole school assembly. The only time you see everyone together is when we do an evacuation drill. Um, and the, the times you see that, you're like, whoa, 2,000 people, like it's just this mass of bodies. And to know that that multiplied by many times over are actually every day getting to, to tune in is just, yeah, it, it truly boggles my mind. It's it's really quite incredible. And have you seen an uh, increase in subscri uh, subscribers and engagement since the pandemic? Has that sort of landscape shifted somewhat for you? Yeah, what I've seen is um, not just an increase, but also a broadening of where those people are coming from. Mathematics is a universal language. And so, I mean, I guess I should be less surprised that, you know, okay, there's viewers from Australia, obviously, US, UK, India um, obviously has a lot of English-speaking people and it's just, you know, more than a billion people there. But it just amazes me that there's like, there's like viewers in Greenland. I'm like, I didn't, there's barely any people in Greenland, let alone people who are going to watch my YouTube videos. Um, and it's quite, it's quite funny people trying to, people who write in the comments, they're like, why is that Asian guy speaking in whatever that accent is? I find that hilarious. So for me, it's just, it's wonderful that there is broad appeal there and it can be useful to people because mathematics is something which can be meaningful to people all around the world, no matter what culture they're from. And I know you would uh, probably never use this word to describe yourself, but um, was it strange? Is it strange to be a bit famous? Um, do you walk down the street and people sort of point and go, that's Eddie or... <laughs> What's that experience? Like? Yeah, you're right. I, you're right that I would never use that word because it just seems very strange. But people do say hi, um, you know, when I'm 
doing my grocery shopping, when I am, um, you know, at the airport or something like that. In fact, even within my own school, because it's a large school, so 135 teaching staff, and as a consequence, you know, most of the kids don't know who most of the teachers are because they just will not interact with them because that's the size of the place. But what's funny is, especially for the younger kids who come in, year sevens and eights, they don't know me first as a teacher. They know me first from the ABC and the kids show that I hosted there. So I'm not Mr. Wu to them. I'm I'm Eddie Wu. It's always the full name as well. <laughs> They're like, look, there's Eddie Wu, which I find very cute. Um, you know, sometimes I'm like, hey, we're at school. You should probably call me Mr. Wu. Um, but it's always delightful to know that it's a positive experience of learning that they've, that they've gotten from me. So I think that's a win. I'm going to take it. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and what was it like becoming the strain of the year? That, that, that is- was, it was just bizarre. Like, I don't have any other words for it. In fact, um, you know, I, I've had that experience a, a small number of times in my life where I just thought this, this can't be real. This, this isn't happening. Right. And I remember I was sitting there with my wife next to me and the prime minister said my name and it was just like, I'd gotten into my head. I don't know if this is just because like it was a coping mechanism or something like that, but all of the state and territory recipients for Australian of the Year awards, so there's 32 of us, um, were in Canberra. And we just got to spend like two, three days getting to meet these incredible people. Like I remember someone I had a conversation with, um, you know, I, I, I was sitting in a, a ceremony next to this person and I said, oh, what are you here for? And um, he said like, oh my, my dad is the recipient. He invented this thing, he's a cardiac surgeon he invented this thing called the heart in a box. So you can rather than like live transplant, you know, with two people like lying next to each other, you can go into this chamber, this special thing. It will keep the heart alive for 24 hours. You can take it to wherever the patient is who's receiving the heart and it's saved tens of thousands of lives. And then he said, so why are you here? And I was kind of like, uh, I, should, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know why I'm here. And you, you, we were immersed in getting to meet all these people. And I just... It was so easy to settle in my brain. I was like, yeah, yeah, this is not me. Look at all these incredible people I'm surrounded by. I'm just delighted to be in their presence. And so then to be named and then to have the opportunity as, you know, one of the Australians of the year to then go around the country and even go, go you know, internationally um, and to, to receive um, all of this, this honour, which I very much feel I don't deserve, but, but take on board as a representative of educators. I really feel like that's that's why people um, are happy to meet me because I remind them of someone who taught them once upon a time, uh, people we've talked about today, Matt, who, who meant a lot to them. Um, and I just am delighted that I get to be a small part of society as a whole, being able to celebrate um, teachers in schools because I think that's really important. It's something we all need. Gosh, Eddie, well, thank you for representing us all so well. Um, it's really, it's been really wonderful to see your meteoric kind of journey and rise and I know that sounds like I said you would never use those words to describe yourself but it's it's been quite incredible to see and I think it's a um it's a real testament to how you come and and serve not only our students but also our teaching community and empower them to um just to do great things I think it's an incredible um not only is it an incredible opportunity for you but it's an incredible opportunity for us to have someone like you representing us um because there are some amazing educators out there that every single day are doing phenomenal work that people may never get to meet or may never get to hear from and it's it's so wonderful to see um the work that you're doing so 
if no one else says it to you today, thank you everything <laughs> that you are doing. It's to uh, it, it's so wonderful to um uh, to get to see your journey and um. I'm just curious as well, Eddie. I mean, it would be amiss of me not to ask about the, the current COVID-19 pandemic, the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Do you think that is changing the landscape for education? Is it asking us to ask some questions that we never have before? Or are they, uh, where do you kind of see this panning out? Because it's mm. definitely not over. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, no, uh, without a doubt. I mean, I think that COVID-19 has certainly taught us all many lessons. Um, you know, not least of which is, you know, how to make sure we share screen and hit the unmute button and all those kinds of things that we laugh at. Uh, I think certainly, I mean, I know that uh, one of the research papers that I remember um, reading recently was called Achieving Elusive Teacher Change. And there's so much captured just within that title. Um, you know, it's, it's hard for us as educators um, to, to look at our practice and to really in fundamental ways shift what we do and why we do it. Um, and there are good reasons for that because a lot of the things that we're doing come from wisdom, they come from established research and evidence, and that's great. But at the same time, the world is changing underneath our feet. I mean, I teach mathematics. Mathematics is a timeless subject. It's one of the things to love about it. You know, once, once something is proven true mathematically, it is true forever. And that's why some of the, the oldest names that we will study, that anyone studies in school, Pythagoras, Euclid, they're, they're centuries old, but Pythagoras' theorem is still just as true today and it will be in, you know, millennia's time. Uh, for me, being able to say a timeless subject like that still needs to actually adapt and change because the way that mathematics is used day to day, it's different all the time. I mean, we've just been talking about COVID-19. Never before on such a daily basis have we been assaulted by numbers and charts and graphs and percentages. And for us to be able to navigate that world requires new skills. So I think COVID-19, even though we have paid a huge price for it, it has been a wonderful time to say, okay, well, I mean, I think about this, I mean, you and I are parents, and uh, one of the wonderful things about, uh, you know, having little children is that they teach you this one profound lesson, which is that it's amazing what a human being is capable of when you have no choice. And, you know, our kids, they have the wonderful spiritual gift of having zero regard for our needs as a human being, and then suddenly things we thought were impossible we find ways to do them. And I think that's this, this pandemic has given us so many experiences of that. So many times when we would have said, that's too hard, we can't do that, we can't rewrite that, we can't change the way we do that, that suddenly we've had no choice. So I really hope as we you know, progress, as you said, we're not at the end of this yet, but as we work out whatever new normal looks like, um, I hope it takes a lot of the lessons that we have learned um, and, and incorporates them into, yeah, a new business as usual, which is helpful to people and, and more accessible in ways that it wasn't before. Yeah, that's really wonderful, Eddie. And um, I, I, think that's, I think that's so important. I mean, I have been so um, inspired, not surprised, inspired by the amazing work that um, teachers are doing at the moment. And just to see how quickly um, teachers were able to switch online and be able to offer these blended uh, types of learning, I think are so wonderful. And I, I hope that we don't go back to how things were because it's just so exciting to see the direction that, and the trends uh, in which education is, is um, setting. So it's, it's really lovely to see. I know um, uh, 
YouTube is kind of like the university now. I mean, I, if you want to learn to play an instrument, if you want to learn how to code, if you want to learn how to YouTube, there's a there's a YouTube channel for that. And so it's such a wonderful platform, I think, to get to have that accessibility into people's lives, in your case, all over the world, which is um, an incredible privilege. Um, Eddie, just a couple of closing questions. Um, what advice would you give uh, to new teachers? So I'm thinking predominantly um, uh, primary school teachers because they all teach mathematics mm. that may be a little bit uh, apprehensive, a little bit scared to teach maths. What advice would you give to these people? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind and it comes directly out of my journey, but I think it's, I hope it's valuable to people is that when I first started teaching, um, I thought that what it meant to be a, a really great teacher of mathematics um, and as you point out even if people may not identify as mathematics teachers so many of us are teachers of mathematics it's what we help our children to, to grab a hold of what I thought it meant to be a good teacher of mathematics was to really know all the answers and to be able to like you know like oh I know that question and just like straight away just give the 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 explanation and be really clear and of course like being able to get to an answer and have it be accurate and to explain it clearly vital of course we're not questioning that but the longer I've been a teacher, the, long, the more I've realized, in fact, a really effective teacher is not someone who knows all the answers, but who knows which questions to ask. And in fact, um, someone, uh, someone once wrote, you know, mathematics, real mathematics, is not about how many answers we know, it's about how we behave when we don't have the answers. What's the problem solving strategy I then adopt when there isn't just a, here's the five step algorithm for it. And the algorithm is part of mathematics, but the bigger part is the unknown. When you're in a novel situation, you're like, how am I gonna tackle this? What strategies do I have access to? So I guess the takeaway from all of that is to be unafraid of being a co-learner with our students. Um, for me, knowing, like I, I have never found a class that I have been able to fool successfully um, as if I'm like, I know all the answers, I know everything. And then it takes like, what, five minutes for them to ask a question that I'm like, I, I need to look that one up, right? Why not have an attitude of, of co-discovery with our, our, our students and being able to say, okay, let's, let's work this one out together. Um, anyone can do that. And I think that's a really important thing to take a hold of. Uh, two final questions. Um, what do you want your legacy to be in mathematics? If I could say it in a sentence, I think what I'm hoping is that mathematics is something which everyone realizes they have a place in. So many people view mathematics as something which is closed off to them. Um, students, and then when we become adults, in fact, we were talking about my book before, you know, people say like, oh, you've got an audience, you've got to imagine who you're talking to as you write. My, my muse, as it were, was a mathematically disenfranchised adult, someone who's like, that, that was once upon a time and it's over for me now. And I wanted people like that, I wanted to open the door back up and say, hey, hey, come back in. Like there's a place for you here and a place that will not just, you know, uh, be uh, make you more capable, but will enrich you as a person. Like that's what this is for, right? So I think I would love for my legacy that to be that people can can take a hold of mathematics and love it, and that also the other piece of this is that I love being a teacher as much as I love mathematics. I hope that comes through. If you tomorrow told me, um, Eddie, you can't teach mathematics. For whatever reason, it's illegal now, it's been written out of the curriculum, etc., etc. I mean, I'd shed a tear because it's pretty awesome, but 
would I find something else to teach? Absolutely, because the kids are what it's about. And I'm, I'm so delighted I've had the opportunity to encourage and inspire educators all around or people even to become educators. Um, our, our society, our country desperately needs more people to become teachers and to stay teachers. So if my legacy can be people who've been brought into that fold and people who remain and, and, and have a long lasting, persistent love for students and for their, what they teach, then I will be over the moon. Eddie, where can people find out more about you? I guess, you know, if you, <laughs> embarrassingly, if you Google my name, um, you will find, um, there's, there's another Eddie Wu who's a DJ in the United States. Um, but, but, but sadly for him, I feel terrible for him. Um, I, I think most of his Twitter mentions have been totally dominated by people who are talking about math teaching, thinking that he's me. So I'm, a, I'm so sorry, Eddie Wu in San Francisco. Um, they can find me there. I'm on, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, um, all those kinds of things. And I love to hear from people, especially anyone who's been using my resources and has, has found it valuable in some particular way that's always delightful to see amazing well eddie i can't thank you enough uh, for taking the time i um as i um as i reflect on your work it, it, it's just so inspiring and and i'm so grateful for the generation of teachers that you are raising that will fall in love again with mathematics i'm also so grateful for the generation of students that won't have that maths anxiety or that perception that maths is not for them that that many of us share and so from the bottom of my heart eddie thank you for everything that you are doing and it is an incredible privilege to get to speak to you so uh, I, I can't wait to see more of the amazing work that you do so thank you matt the pleasure's all mine Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussion. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. I've one favour to ask. If you could please head to the iTunes page of the podcast and rate and review the episode. This would really help to get the interviews and resources to as many people as possible. Also, I've created a private Facebook group so that we can continue the discussion after each episode. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and until next time.